What can you do to improve your writing and build your network as a part of it? As a creative and professional writer, my time post-college graduation was just that. Difficult to keep an upward learning curve that honed my craft and connected me with others in the field. So today, join me on a quest to connect writers to the experiences they need with top authors, editors, and publishers ready to share their methods for success. Become a part of a new elevated selection for publishers and debunk the myth that while writing is a solo act, being a writer is not always solitary. Am I right? Hey, Word Wizards! I am so excited to come back to you with another episode in this new year of 2023 when this will be airing. And uh, we're going to talk about a very specific genre today, and it's a very different one from the last episode's genre, which was script writing. Uh, Today we're going to talk about historical novels, and and we'll talk about some specific things in it. But let's first welcome our lovely guest and learn a little bit about her. So Gina is here with us, and her latest novel is her first solo, which is amazing. It just released last week um, from the date that we're recording this. It's called The Virgins of Venice, and it is by HarperCollins. She has co-authored Three historical novels, however, The Sidewalk Artist, which is a dual-time story about the Renaissance master Raphael, Chabella, which takes place in northern Italy in the summertime after World War II, and The Wolves of St. Peter's, which is a murder mystery set at the time Michelangelo was painting the Sistine Chapel ceiling in Rome. So that was a lot of amazing history to unpack, and I love it. I love that you're you know, you know, intertwining it with different genres, and I think that's something that we can all be inspired by. So thank you for taking the time to come and share your wisdom with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. I mean, I did read a pretty impressive portfolio there, but if you have anything you want to introduce yourself to the audience a little bit, and then we'll get into our questions. Sure. So um, I'm Gina Bonagoro. I'm originally from New Jersey, uh, and I married a Canadian man. I live in Toronto now, in Canada. Um, and uh, I've always want, loved reading and writing ever since I was young. And um, when I moved to Canada about 20 years ago, couldn't work initially and um, legally. And so while I waited for the visa, I uh, decided to write that novel that I always wanted to write. And so um, I ended up co-authoring that novel. That became my first novel, The Sidewalk Artist. I had met a woman in a class and we started our own little writing group. And then she kind of built on my idea so much that I asked her if she wanted to co-write it. And she said yes. And so we ended up writing six books together, three historical and three contemporary romances under a pen name. So uh, a few uh, years ago, we decided to amicably part ways. And that's when I decided I wanted to continue in the historical fiction genre, which I just love to read. Uh, and I love the research. And so I, um, th- that's what The Virgins of Venice became. Wow. And I'd like to point out too, that that these uh, pen names, the three romance novels, you self-published first, and they were so successful that they were picked up by a traditional publisher, which is, you know, quite the glory story. <laughs> Doesn't happen all the time. Um, and I think this is, it's worth mentioning to listeners because you have, you've had both sides of that coin. You've experienced yeah. both sides of that. And I think that does bring a lot of extra experience. So and we are so happy to have you. And I, the first question that I kind of want to kick into is um, basically, I mean, you mentioned that you, you've done a solo and you've, obviously written six books with someone else is it easier or harder to write collaboratively and are there just pros and cons of both what has your experience been there so so my co-author janice kirk and i wrote together for 15 years um and i would say at first i mean it was it was it was great because when you first start out and i was 
when you're writing your first novel, you're learning along the way. And so there I had someone to talk about it with all the time. We could, she was, you know, she was a fellow writer, a fellow editor, a fellow sounding board. We would talk about ideas and techniques. Um, and so I feel like, you know, I did essentially an MFA with her together. We both uh, learned yeah. so much about writing and got better over time. Uh, part of the reason we ended up splitting is our interests kind of diverged. She was really interested in murder mysteries. Um, and I realized I was less interested in that. And so mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to do just more pure historical fiction, maybe what you'd call women's historical fiction. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, so it was, it, it, it depends when you, you know, at the beginning it worked so well. And towards the end, it got harder as I think we got more confident in our, each, in each of our own abilities. Mm -hmm. um, I have zero regrets. It was a fabulous experience. Um, she's still my friend. And I, I really feel like I learned an incredible amount from working with her. And so that said, now I feel uh, very confident in what I write, want to write and how I write and my own voice. That was one thing is everyone says, how do you have a single voice when you have two, two authors, a, a unified voice? And so it did take a lot of work, probably extra time, because we go back and forth and back and forth. And to the end of the process where we'd be proofreading it and we would read it aloud and and literally discuss every word to make sure it felt right to both of us so it was a very time consuming process but yeah very helpful because again it, it you know it um I learned a whole a whole lot from the process yeah absolutely and I love that you that you took you gleaned the good from having somebody to work with on your first manuscript being in a position where I'm closer to that than I am to having published seven books <laughs> sometimes you wish you had someone to talk to about this and and uh someone to tell you oh hey this is not crazy this is actually flowing this is working good right and that's what you kind of aim for when you eventually get a an agent or an editor but I love that you kind of use that as a as a tool and that now you're just moving on to a new phase of life and I think that with writing we think too often that once you've published it you've arrived and you have so much more to learn there's so much more to learn about writing oh, yeah. and I think you can always connect more with human beings through it so so that's perfect that's a great yeah. example um and part of part of what you love with, with the historical insight um i mean there's a lot of research that has to happen i'm not as familiar with it personally because i'm not i don't dabble in historical fiction but i have a great appreciation for it and so i wanted to ask is it does it take a while for you does it does it just depend on what you're researching to feel like you're ready to make these narratives when you're researching, you know, history inspires you. Yeah. Interesting. Our first book was a dual timeline uh, novel. So we kind of <laughs> had the best of both worlds, but, uh, and it was about the artist Raphael. So we could kind of focus more singularly on him. Mm -hmm. um, and then World War, we did our World War II novel, which many, many people do. Um, and there's there's so much written about that. And you know a fair amount, but you don't necessarily know all the details. Uh, mm -hmm. And then going back to the Renaissance, um, I feel like with the the third book, The Wolves of St. Peter's, and then the book I've written now, because Wolves of St. Peter's was set in Rome around the same time, Renaissance Rome, and then Venice. I did do a, we did a lot more research for the Rome book. And then for the Venice book, we had actually started writing the book set in Venice together. I, I just <laughs> did so much research to the point where as if, uh, you absorb 
you you need to absorb it so that you can can write it. Does if that makes sense? So you have to read. I found a lot of times I'm not reading primary sources. I'm not going to the archives and reading, you know, trying to puzzle out Venetian, a Renaissance Venetian language. But I am what you relying on the works of academics that have written books and articles to really uh, absorb the culture, the government structure what the lives of women were like. And you can also read, after a while, after you've really delved into a topic or an era, you almost can deduce things by what's not being said or what's being left out. Um, For example, when Venice is um, known for having, making many, many laws and they'd make stricter laws as as time goes by. And you realize that's because nobody was following the original law. So that, you know, you can take that time period and and be, oh, well, that's where they were flouting, <laughs> flouting that law and doing more that they felt they needed to later crack down on. So that's the kind of thing where you need to just be able to absorb it. And you need to, um, the other that I found thing that actually I found really hard is like, did they sat down to dinner, did they use a fork? And you have to like find out when forks started being used. Yes. Wow. Yes. So there's a lot of precision research that comes. What did they eat? What was in season? Yeah. No tomatoes yet in Italy in 1509 because Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. You didn't really get all those things that we think of almost as like start, you know, typical Italian cuisine. Yeah. Till decades later. Oh so God. you have to, and if you and the thing is. You might be like, wow, do you really need to know that? But you get these readers out there who really know their history and they will call you. They check your facts. <laughs> exactly. So I'm paranoid that I'm going to get something majorly wrong all the time. So so the problem is balancing the copious amounts of research with actually writing. You want It's always yeah. easy to do more research, right? Yes. I'll read another book. I'll read another article. But you, then, you, of course, have to write and integrate it. And so the more you can kind of absorb it and make it more natural in your head, then the easier it is to do the writing. So you have to have that balance. Mm. You need to spend a fair amount of time delving into the era, I think, before you can even put pen to paper or fingers to the type, typewriter. No one uses a typewriter anymore. Because <laughs> they they're cool. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that because my next question really was, I think some people imagine with historical, um, I guess any kind of historical writing, even if it's fiction, is that, you know, you're trekking to the monk archives somewhere and you're dusting off the scrolls and trying to figure out what it is. And I, I mean, it's a great image. It brings to mind Indiana Jones, but that's not really kind of how this works now. And yeah. And so I guess I would ask, how do you know where to look and what, you know, where would you suggest listeners who kind of love that genre should start looking for their inspiration? Does your inspiration come from, did you, you know, happen across some fact that you're like, oh, I should write a book about this? Or is it more, you know, in retrospect that you're looking at the facts? Well, probably you're not going to write historical fiction unless you love to read historical fiction, is my guess. So you probably already have a time period in mind. So you're going to read. You're going to read novels based on that. And almost always nowadays, authors at the back, historical fiction authors at the back of the book put their sources um, and they'll say, you know, I use this book and that book. And so that's a great starting point. If you're like, I want to write about World War II, take a World War II novel that you love set in. Let's call it. I read a book recently set in the Philippines in World War II, which I'd never heard, you know, read that kind of I've always read France and Germany and England and, and Italy. 
but never Philippines. And so I was like, wow. So let's say I wanted to write about that myself. I'd go to the back of that book. I'd see the, what the sources the author used. I'd start by reading those. Then you, you kind of, you know, are led down the path of finding, you you find out what your, um, your specific interest is. Like, what's your hook? What's your story? And, and a lot of times it is the stories that are kind of almost mentioned in passing or, you know, that can make the most interesting storyline. Um, for for example, for, for the book, The Virgins of Venice, what struck me and what I ended up writing about was that if you are a patrician noble woman, in your teens, your father would decide whether you got married or went into a convent. Those were your only two paths in life that you had no decision-making power over. And I w- and so the convents were filled with women with no calling. Nowadays, if you're a nun, you have a calling, right? right. But those days, they, they were kind of like sorority houses. They were filled with women, and it would be your aunts and your cousins and then other other families, and that would be, you know, cat cattiness and, and parties. And you know, there would be, they read about them, and there's like chickens running around and people like cats and uh, dogs and pets and things. And so you realize, like, I'm like, that's fascinating, right? Like what is going on inside these comments? Cause you just think they're sitting there praying and they're holy, right. but right. they're not necessarily very few women had callings. So, but they, but many women were in these comments. So I thought well, that's a really interesting. That is fascinating. Book. Yeah. So in, in fact, in my book, it's about each a, a set of sisters and they each have that path. One of them has, has to get married and one of them has to join a convent and what are, what is this like? And we're talking 14, 15, 16 year old girls. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And do you find do you find the the satisfaction coming from kind of giving voice to these stories that kind of feel like they deserve to have a voice that no one knows about? I mean, is that part of what drives you? Very much so, I would say. Yeah. yeah. I think finding these stories of women who didn't have voices and is is to me really interesting. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's actually I I you know at one point I was reading something recently and, and the, the advice was create a tagline for your for your, what your fiction is. And I was like, that's a good idea. So mm-hmm. I I my tagline on my website says reviving women's stories lost to history. Oh, very and good. it's interesting. Several people have commented on that now that they've come to my website. So it's like for me, it just sharpened what I want to do. That's yeah. what I want to do. Yeah, and that's kind of the ma- I mentioned that because it's the magic of of what we do, right? This is why we choose to write that fulfillment that comes from you giving voice to something that maybe nobody else will. And I yeah. find that, you know, absolutely important. So, uh let's kind of change directions here a little bit. How was it publishing your first solo? Was there something that you didn't expect from it? Was it all just kind of in the hands of the publisher how did you know how was your experience with that when you switched over to your own book yeah i mean publishing a, a uh solo novel with a publisher is not really any different than publishing it with co-author so that there was really very few surprises there you know the whole process is very similar where you know the editor purchases your book and then gives some general comments and uh, so then you can revise based on that and then they send it out to a copy editor and then you respond to that. And then they send it out to a proofreader and they respond to that. So that's, that's all the same, same with the cover, which is they present cover options to you. You, uh, Authors have very little 
say on their covers. If you hate it, you can tell them, but otherwise, you. So anyway, I was very happy with my cover, so I have no complaints. I'm not a very visual person. I'm a very, very verbal person. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a cover. I was like, I saw it. I was like, I'd, I'd pick that book up. That's kind of how I went with it. So yeah. you can judge a book by its cover. <laughs> we all do it. We all do, we do it. it. We do it. You have to have an inviting, appealing cover. So yeah, I wouldn't say that was drastically, uh, that was a drastically different experience. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, um, that's good to know. I mean, for those considering, you know, should I collaborate? Should I just keep it to my close to my own chest? I mean, maybe think about just what would work best for the book and yeah. move forward from there. And the uh, would be self publishing. That's a and people make that conscious decision. Sometimes it happens because you can't get a traditional publisher, but there right. are authors out there that say, I want to have control over everything. And so, mm-hmm. um, I will, uh, I will do it um, all myself. It's it's a it's a huge proposition because it's almost like you need to think of yourself as a well. I mean, I try to think of myself as a in a, a business in a way anyway. Mm-hmm. But like you really you have to be doing the cover design, all the marketing, all the publicity yourself. Um, yeah, you are the publisher, the editor, the agent, the writer. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. And it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. And it's I it's lot. good that you mentioned too. I mean, it's you think that it's oh, I just can't get this published. I'm gonna throw it out there. That's not how that works. And in fact, most of the, I've been surprised with this show, how many authors who were traditionally published switch over to being independently published because they just, that control is more important to them and they think they can do yeah. it, you know? And and so I, it's definitely something worth considering, but it, just note that it is a lot of extra work. A lot of, it is a lot of extra work. Marketing you, is you're not focusing culture. only on the writing at that point, really. Yes. Yes. I, the other thing that I didn't find surprising, but I think your readers might appreciate that if you do get traditionally published where you get marketing and publicity help and support, which I will tell you is very much commensurate with the size of your advance, the smaller your advance, the less they give you, the bigger your advance, the more they give you in terms yes. of that. But that I still wanted to do some of my own marketing and publicity. For example, here I am talking to you. Did my publicist arrange this conversation with you? Nope. That was I got, you know, that was all my own networking because I feel like I can't, you know, I can't just rely solely on them. As though they're they're very supportive. I'm not unhappy, but yes. I think there's always more that can be done. And yeah. I learned that from previous traditionally published books. Like I remember the very first meeting from public my publicist for the sidewalk artist, I was um, I met the publicist. We had a we had a tiny advance for that one, and I I said I have all these ideas and this and and literally she didn't even take out a piece of pen or like a pen and a notebook to like take a single note. She just sat there. She wasn't going to do anything that I said. <laughs> and it was really clear. Whereas now I'm talking to my publicist and she's much more responsive and helpful and has ideas and you know yes communicative. So <laughs> it really can vary. <laughs> wow. Yes. That's, I don't think that's something that we've talked about on the show yet. So I appreciate you bringing that up too. It's, it, it varies from author to author. It varies from, from uh, publishing house to publishing house too. And uh, there's pros and cons there with your advances, yeah. but, but you should always be doing things to promote yourself. And that doesn't mean that you need to get on Twitter and be crazy every day and try to figure out how to get every post optimized. But I think it is important, especially where this is a job that you can do from your basement, right? That we're both in our basement right now. Um, <laughs> that you make yourself known to other people and, and just get yourself out there a little bit. And it's so it's admirable that you continue to do that even though you have a publisher. That yeah. Can help you do that. So um it's time for the 
the hardest question, which is our secret sauce question. Chapter <laughs> four, though. Uh, and we're t- we've changed the wording a little bit because I- I'd love to know what you think from your experience, both as a writer, working with another writer, and being around publishers and authors, what makes a piece of art great? Yeah, that is the really crux of it, right? So, I mean, for me, for my books and this book that I wrote, this latest book, The Virgins of Venice, for me, what made it great was that it was, I wrote something that I would want to read. Um, and I didn't worry about genre exactly, or, um, or using like, it's, it's quite, um, maybe academic. It's not, no, it's not academic, but like my character is a writer and, you know, I'm talking about Venetian publishing houses from 1509 and, and, you know, things like, that maybe are esoteric is probably a better word. But I was like, you know what? This is the kind of book I love learning these things myself when I read other people's historical fiction. And so I wanted to bring it to life in Venice in that time period. And so I did a ton of research and then I wrote what I wanted to write. And so to me, it was the best book I could write. So I guess that makes it, in my opinion, a great piece, you know, a great piece of my art. I'm hoping that you know I have a sequel in mind, and um, I'm hoping I can make that better and greater. <laughs> but we'll see. Always the hope. Always the hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's important. Like you know, don't feel like you have to write. You know, so you, know, you shouldn't cast aside you know what people what people want to read. But there is a thriving for historical fiction. There's a thriving historical fiction readership out there. And I feel like it's growing. I see it mentioned more and more as a category and mm-hmm. best books of the year and things like that that I don't feel like it was five years ago. And so um I think if you can bring a story to life that's not known in a beautiful way, that to me is great art. Well wow. That was part. That was a mic drop. If I ever heard one, <laughs> I hope readers are listening, and I hope that the, that resonates with them because that is beautiful and very true. Uh, and just for those of you listening, it'll be after Christmas, but it's not too late to give yourself a holiday gift with this book because it is recently. I mean, it is fresh off the press right now, and it is beautiful. And like we said, the cover is great, and you'll just enjoy it. And if you haven't given historical fiction a chance now is the time to do that because there's i mean it, it almost feels like that's too broad of a genre there are so many categories yeah. within it and, oh yeah and eras and it's i mean it's just yeah. there's something for everybody absolutely yeah absolutely so it's is. a great place to start and we also want to know what are you gina reading or what would you suggest that we need to know about reading right now um, I just want, I want, if you don't mind me making one little plug for myself, which is, I, do book, I do book clubs. This is a great book club book. Wow. So if you're interested, you can go to my website and, uh, or email me and we'll, we'll connect. But, and, um, so in terms of what I'm reading, I'm of course reading historical fiction. <laughs> I'm actually reading a Philippa Gregory book right now, which is, she does the Tudor, you know, Tudor history. Um, uh, so I'm doing that. I really want to get my hands on the new book called The Marriage Portrait. Um, it's by the mm. same author, and I forgive me, I can't remember her name, but she also wrote the book Hamnet, which came out a few years ago. And Hamnet was about the son of Shakespeare. 
Um, and she wrote a new book. It just came out called The Marriage Portrait. She's a beautiful, beautiful writer. So she's writing historical fiction in a beautiful literary but accessible way. So oh, and that's the, nice that Shakespeare it. Incorporation. She's got she's already got me interested. So <laughs> <laughs> it's very exciting. I'll have to definitely put that on my Goodreads and get get a hold of it. Yes, it's a great book. Awesome. And besides, you know, this wonderful book that you've just released and, and some of the ones that we know about, we'd love to anticipate, you know, your upcoming one, like you said, your sequel that you're thinking about. And and it's awesome that you do um, book clubs because I don't think everybody does that. But as you can tell, she's a lovely conversationalist. So definitely <laughs> look her up. How else can we be a part of your community and support you? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So my website is Ginabu, G-I-N-A-B-U.com. I tried to keep it really simple because I have a very complicated last name. Um, I'm on I'm on Facebook. Um, and I'm on Goodreads and I'm on BookBub. I've made a conscious decision not to do Twitter or TikTok. TikTok because I don't really understand it, though I know there's a lot of book talkers out there. Uh, but I feel like I could be spending a lot of time book talking and not enough time writing. And same with Twitter, which is a rabbit hole we all know about. So yes. anyway, I'm on Facebook, GinaBoo.com, BookBub and Goodreads. And I would love to do book clubs and love to connect with people. Wonderful. Uh, as we're wrapping up here, is there any last piece of advice that you would give to the newer writers who are looking to start their you know, query publishing journey? I think that might be actually at the moment be my number one advice. Don't get social media is important, but if you get too bogged down with it, you're not actually writing and reading, which is if you're a writer, that's your main job. I would say you need to spend most of your time writing and reading and not Twittering and Facebooking and <laughs> TikToking. It's tempting. It's easy. It's oh, a man. quick hit and you feel like you've accomplished something, but you're, it's a lot of procrastination I find. So I think if people can, um, Set aside the phone and and just sit and write uh, and read. Got to read a ton. Uh, and then I think you'll, you'll, and you set yourself a goal, a page a day, whatever it is. Uh, and then you'll, by the end of the year, you'll have a book. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. And especially where we kind of mentioned it is important to market yourself, but it is deeply easy to procrastinate. Uh-huh. Especially so when you're alone with your computer and other devices. <laughs> so. Exactly. I've Take your advice into account. Put on your wall if you gotta. So much for coming on, Gina. You have been absolutely a pleasure to speak with, and we hope to see more of you in the future. Maybe have you come back on later and and talk to us about your progress. But but we appreciate you making time for us these busy this busy holiday season. Thanks so much, Sheridan. I really enjoyed it. Yes, of course. And uh, you stick around here for a minute, but for all of our listeners and and word wizards and writers out there, right on. Can you see ways to improve your writing process already? Thanks for joining us on this excellent episode of Am I Right? For more information about the podcast, guests, or upcoming episodes, follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Right on, Word Wizards!